Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, today we're going to look at some statements in the Bible related to creation, indicating that the writers of Scripture had knowledge about the created realm long before what we call modern science discovered that information. Yes, Scott, and we're considering these biblical statements based on a letter from a listener, Richard Cheshire. He asked if we might find and discuss passages where the Holy Spirit inspired an understanding of something contrary to popular thought, centuries before it was known to modern science. He suggested, for example, what Job says in Job chapter 26, verse 7, which reveals the earth hangs in empty space. And in the previous program, we saw that Job chapter 26 not only states the earth hangs in empty space, but it also reveals the earth is round. Of course, that's a given in our day. Well, except for some folks who've been duped into thinking the earth is flat. And even worse, that the Bible teaches that the earth is flat. Yes, that is really unfortunate that some people choose to distort the meaning of Scripture so badly. But those misguided individuals notwithstanding, we noted previously that ideas like the earth is flat or that the earth is supported by Atlas or a giant turtle do not have their origin in Scripture. Those varying mythological explanations may have been held by different ancient peoples, but not by the ancient biblical patriarchs or the Hebrew people. The information revealed in the Scriptures was accurate to whatever extent they described the material universe. And as we've already pointed out, their understanding, we could say, was ahead of their time. Or another way to look at it, Dr. Scripture, is with the progress of human history, especially after the flood, the overall knowledge of the human race digressed to the point that people did come to think the earth was flat or dirty rags spontaneously generate rats and flies. (laughs) Wait, Scott, you say that as though it was just the unenlightened people of the Dark Ages. Well. But some of the most sophisticated scientists of our day think dirt and water will spontaneously generate life. Good point. Remember the quote by astrobiologist Clark Johnson at the revered University of Wisconsin-Madison on the front page of USA Today, quote, If you give it an environment, life is going to spontaneously develop, unquote. (laughs) But you're right. With the widespread digression of the human condition after the flood, it is apparent that much knowledge was lost to mankind. And it's only by God's providence that his perfect word was preserved, even though so few could read it for so many centuries. So again, coming back to the book of Job, Assuming, and with good reason, Job himself, or at least a contemporary, was the author. The book was written and has been preserved for approximately 4,000 years. And he's talking about a round earth hanging in empty space. And in Richard's letter, he referred to another interesting description of the natural realm in Job that we would say was before its time. It was in Job 28, something about Earth's atmosphere. Yes, God, he mentioned Job 28, verse 25, which says, God gave weight to the wind. So let's read a few of the verses surrounding that statement. What Job is doing is he's discussing the wisdom God used in his creative acts. And Job describes the priceless value and rareness of such wisdom. Let's start reading at Job 28, 12, Scott. Okay, Where can wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? 
Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. And here's verse 15. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. And then verse 19. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. And now let's move down and read verses 20 to 25. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, With our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its way, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. And now listen to verse 25. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure. So there it says, God imparted weight to the wind. Now, what exactly does that mean? Does it just mean you can feel it? You know, that's almost what it may seem to mean when you read how the NIV translates it. Scott, read Job 28:25 in the NIV. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters. Now, I understand how the NIV is interpreting the word there, but the literal meaning of the word is weight. That word translated weight in the New American Standard Bible and all the other versions I looked at occurs numerous times in the Old Testament and does, in fact, refer to the weight of something. We can see this from the way the word is used, for example, in Ezra 8.34. The priests were gathering material for the temple construction, and it says, Everything was numbered and weighed, and all the weight was recorded at that time. There the word was used twice. And this word has the same root as the word we read in verse 15 that said, quote, Nor can silver be weighed as its price, unquote. The statement, He imparted weight to the wind, means it has weight. In other words, air has substance. Now, I submit air or the wind is referring to Earth's atmosphere, that crucial feature of Earth God made on day two of creation. And Scott, we may think of the atmosphere as a whimsy little envelope around the planet, but can you take a guess about how much the atmosphere weighs? (laughs) I'll give you a clue. It's in tons. How much does the atmosphere weigh? I really don't have a clue. (laughs) A billion tons? No, no, a trillion tons. The Earth's atmosphere, which is about 300 miles thick, weighs five quadrillion tons. What in the world is a quadrillion? (laughs) Well, a billion is nine zeros. A trillion is 12 zeros. A quadrillion is 15 zeros. Ah. A quadrillion is a thousand trillion. Okay, that puts some things in perspective. The United States debt may be in the trillions of dollars, but at least we haven't reached a quadrillion yet. (laughs) Well, that's putting a positive spin on it, Scott. (laughs) But back to the weight of the air on the earth. With our modern scientific equipment, we now know air has mass, and anything with mass has weight. Air is a light substance, but one cubic foot of air is estimated to weigh 0.0807 pounds, which is about 1.3 ounces, and that's about the same as 13 pennies. So think of it. The weight of the air that God created was 5,000 
thousand trillion tons. Now that's imparting some weight to the wind. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that without understanding it, something that may seem to be weightless weighs that much and it encompasses the earth like a huge blanket. And that's what Job talked about. Now he didn't know what the weight of the wind was, which we would understand to be the weight of the atmosphere, but the spirit of God did inspire him to reveal that it did indeed have weight. And as in most everything God does, he does it in a grand way, whether it's the expanse of the universe of galaxies or the weight of the wind. Five quadrillion tons of it, Hmm. enveloping the earth and enabling life to thrive upon it. And then there's the other half of verse 25, which we read, Scott, that we haven't even touched on yet. Scott, what else did God say he waited? Oh, yes. It says he meted out the waters by measure. Meted out means to measure, right? Would that be the same as weighing it? Yes. It's where we get our word meter, which is something that measures or weighs a substance. So, not that everyone doesn't understand that water has weight or volume, but here in Job's statement is the revelation that God actually calculated the amount of water to put on the earth. Dr. Scripture, I'm thinking of something in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah says something about God calculating the amount of water on earth. Do you know where that is? Yes, a great creation passage, Isaiah 40. And what you're referring to is Isaiah 40, verse 12, which says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? It's as though Isaiah is referring to Job's words. And since we've recited part of it, we have to read the whole verse in Isaiah because it speaks of God measuring more than just the oceans, Scott. Read Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? (laughs) What a picture these metaphors draw, describing the size and power, the wisdom and might of the Creator. And we know that there is a delicate balance between the water, land, and air on earth. The barometric pressures of the atmosphere that ebb and flow cause the air to retain humidity or cause the water vapor to condense and then precipitate in the form of rain or snow. And all these dynamics are necessary for the water cycle, which, of course, as we mentioned before, enables life to thrive on the earth. These things do not happen by accident on earth despite the claims of the evolutionists who suggest the earth is just wildly fortunate to have all the necessary conditions in place for life to exist. In the next two verses of Job 28, God's oversight of all these conditions is clearly stated. Verses 26 and 27 say, When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it, He established it and also searched it out. So here is Job stating scientific facts that, in fact, was known thousands of years before modern man only recently discovered them, so he thought. It says God searched it out. So how appropriate is the word we use to describe scientific inquiry? Scott, what do we call it? Research. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Research, indeed. As the founder of the science of physical astronomy, Johann Kepler was known to have said, he was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. 
the epitome of recognizing we are all researching what God has long ago already searched out. And the only reason research can make any sense out of what we observe is because the Creator established nature to function by perpetual, invariable laws. In appreciation of that truth, Kepler also said this, quote, Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it befits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather, above all else, of the glory of God, unquote. God has revealed himself in nature and in a noble tidbits of information about nature in his word, long before we could research it out. So, given these revelations of the power and glory of God in his word, and in the earth, the wind, the sky, it's not surprising. The rebellious heart of man would concoct a story to try and remove the creator from his rightful place as the sovereign of the universe. But the imagination of man does not change the truth. And we should heed Job 28, verse 28. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. And finally, we also should heed what Psalm 47 says in verses 2 and 8. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.